How do we get started with electric trucks? This is HTT Talks Trucking, Season 1, Episode 4. Glad you could join us. I'm your host, Jim Park. When I think about all the ink we've spilled on electric trucks over the past five years or so, I always come back to how little we actually know about them, how we integrate them into our fleets, how much they'll cost, will we be able to maintain our productivity and still run at a profit. Every subject we bring up leads mostly to more questions. We're still looking for answers, but there are few certainties at this stage of the game. Back in November of 2019, I had the privilege of moderating a panel discussion at the Bobbitt Fleet Forward Conference in San Jose, California. That's right in the heart of Silicon Valley. The topic was electrifying medium and heavy-duty trucks. Although I had a panel of three experts to field my questions, they don't have all the answers yet either, although they are further along than most of us. First was Bill Combs, the Director of Connected Fleets at Penske Transportation Solutions, Bill's done a lot of work on the connected vehicle programs, but for the past couple of years, he's focused on electric vehicles. Next was Chris Nord. He's the Senior Director of Advanced Vehicle Technologies and Energy Products at Ryder. Chris manages Ryder's electric truck vendors, both new and traditional OEMs, as well as the charging infrastructure. And finally, Will Quinn, a manager on Pacific Gas and Electric's newly created Clean Energy Transportation Team serving Northern California. His focus is electric vehicle charging programs and charging infrastructure. On this episode of HTT Talks Trucking, rather than a two-way conversation, we'll be hearing from three of the Fleet Forward Conference panelists. I think you'll find them interesting and insightful and, well, useful. We'll kick off the discussion with Bill, Chris, and Will in just a moment. Stay with us. HTT Talks Trucking is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange. HTTX is a unique networking event for fleets and suppliers that opens doors to long and beneficial business relationships. Join us May 6th, 7th, and 8th in Scottsdale, Arizona for HTTX 2020. There's a lot of interest in electric trucks these days, but many fleets are saying they aren't for them. That could be expected in a long-haul truckload application, at least for the near term, but medium-duty fleets, especially the last-mile crowd, are watching with interest as this market develops. The operative word here is watching. There are still too many uncertainties for most of us to just jump right in and buy a few, but things are moving a little faster in other segments of the transportation industry. So far, most of our projects we've seen are in the four to six class range. Um, we've seen a lot of interest from school, school districts, school buses. Happy to see a lot of them committing to close to half of their fleets within the next five years going fully electric uh, in the school bus area. We've also seen yard vehicles, forklifts, hostlers, those types of vehicles. Um, but I do think the next big area, based purely on total cost of ownership analysis once you add all the rebates, is the four to six space, the delivery vehicles. That was PG&E's Will Quinn. As an energy supplier, the utility companies don't really care which type of electric vehicle you plan to operate, but they do need to know what the anticipated energy consumption is going to be so that they can build up the distribution infrastructure. As of November 2019, PG&E had inked 20 distribution and infrastructure contracts, and most of those were with school boards and public transit projects. For the folks that we have that have sat down with us and walked through this, um, we've been pleasantly surprised because um, we look for a five-year vehicle commitment. Um, what do you plan to purchase by the end of 2024? 
and we'll build out all the infrastructure you need to electrify all those vehicles under that plan. So we've been pleasantly surprised with some transit agencies looking at 20, 30, 40 vehicles um, when you start looking out a bit more on that five-year time horizon. Obviously, a five-year commitment is a bit much to ask for any but the largest of truck fleets. That could keep some mid-sized fleets out of the market, but small fleets could actually find it easier to start running electric trucks. Early last year in a separate conversation, Chris Nord told me it's pretty easy to bring on a few electric delivery vans, for example. You need only a 220-volt charger, and most industrial properties already have 220-volt service. He said it starts to get a bit rocky at about 10 trucks, or with bigger trucks with greater energy demands. It's a bit more complicated than just plugging the truck in beside your toaster. Quinn says the utility companies may have to do some grid planning and possibly some infrastructure upgrades as well. If we start talking about, you know, 5, 10 megawatts on your project, okay, now we need to include full grid planning, make sure there's capacity on the substation, you know, that's a bigger deal. Um, But if we're talking under 5 megawatts, 4 megawatts, 3 megawatts, we're typically seeing sufficient capacity on the lines and substations to accommodate that. And then our team is there to do all the transformer upgrades to the meter infrastructure upgrades, provide you with incentives for the behind the meter infrastructure piece that you'll likely own, and then additional incentives for the chargers as well. So, um, but but it is certainly a paradigm shift, and I appreciate that we're viewing it through that lens. Um, There's a lot of education that needs to happen around what is the right charger for you? What is the duty cycle of your vehicle. Um, and we often see people walking in the door requesting a maybe 150 kilowatt uh, charger for their vehicle when the duty cycle really only demands uh, a 20 kilowatt charger if they're charging overnight. So to reorient them on that, have that conversation and either figure out how to do some on-site load management or share multiple vehicles across one fast charger, I mean, that's another great option, right? If you get one fast charger charging multiple buses uh, at different times throughout the day and staggering them in some way, you know, we're, we're here to sit down and plan all of that out with you um, and with your clients because um, it is a, a nuanced conversation and definitely varies from site to site. That's an awful lot for a small to mid-sized fleet to tackle. Big fleets, school districts, public transit companies, they all have the resources to sort that all out. But how does the average small fleet owner navigate this? They'll have to figure out how much energy they'll need, deal with the on-site engineering demands, and of course, how to pay for it all. I would just add one piece that we are you know, increasingly seeing utilities play in this space and help you know, hold the hand of the customer through this process because it is quite complex. And even if you no- knew nothing about you know, electric trucks or who you were going to go with, um, we go out and we vet and approve uh, OEMs for our programs, uh, EVSE charger manufacturers for our programs, um, make you a- aware of all the grants in your territory or in your specific zip code even, um, depending on what vehicle you're interested in. So um, we're continually investing in those tools and can help you make those um, right partnerships and help find the right OEM for you. Um, We're not going to necessarily go out and, you know, recommend one um, behind-the-meter infrastructure contractor over another. We're going to walk you through what all the steps are, the roadmap. Um, You still have some tough decisions ahead of you in terms of who you're going to pay to do the work and, you know, which truck you're going to buy and which charger you're going to use, but um, we're increasingly there to help you at least navigate those unknown unknowns and make them feel um, much more approachable. And companies like Ryder and Penske can help too in negotiating those hurdles. Chris Nord says Ryder has already learned a few good lessons. It doesn't really matter what industry you're in right now, partnerships are becoming more and more uh, important. Um, Everybody can't build the capabilities in-house. 
and so what we've done is gone out and partnered with uh, a number of really experienced uh, individuals. It's a company called InCharge. They're based out of Southern California. And so one of the things that really drew me to that model was the concept and, and, and idea that you can really look at the building where you're going to charge vehicles. You can look at reducing the current consumption of that building way before you start talking about what you're going to add uh, to that building. And so in, in the 20 or so facilities that we've gone into thus far, both for our own facilities as well as our customers' facilities, is a 60% reduction in energy use of the building itself. And that frees up a number of additional chargers to be installed without needing to go to the utility company to upgrade transformers or do some of the things that either are going to be expensive or just timely. Right? Now you still want to utilize the PG&E program no matter, no matter what because of the um, special rate program that you have for EVs where you're not paying those demand chargers. Um, but Ryder, Penske, we're going to do that work together with you for you um, in order to simplify that because we realize that fleets currently do not have the expertise to manage this transition. And a lot of the times we need to advise them of how they need to structure their own business corporately in order to be successful. Because, um, and, and it, you know, most companies are siloed in some way or another. And I have yet to run into a company that has the fleet be in the same silo as real estate. And at this point, they need to basically talk to each other. And the larger the company, the harder that becomes because of these silos. Um, and so you need uh, a structure where you have a, a executive champion that can basically oversee and manage both of these different silos to work together in, a, in an effective and timely um, way because the biggest thing about it is that it just drags on projects because you, you, they just don't get along. We're exploring what it takes to get started with electric trucks through a series of audio clips recorded during a panel discussion I had last fall with Chris Nord of Ryder, Bill Combs of Penske, and Will Quinn of PG&E. They were speaking at Bobbitt's Fleet Forward Conference in San Jose. We're going to take a short break here, but there's more to come on this episode of HDT Talks Trucking. We'll get into buying and paying for electric trucks when we come back. Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange is put on by Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine and our host sponsors. Our editors tapped into decades of experience with trucking fleets to develop this truly worthwhile event. If you qualify, we'll bring you and a few dozen other fleet managers to a Scottsdale, Arizona resort for a jam-packed session of networking, education, and fun. It all happens in a friendly, intimate environment where you can develop lasting relationships and pick up ideas that can make your business more successful. Go to HeavyDutyTruckingExchange.com to learn more and to apply for your spot at HDTX 2020. We're back. Thanks for sticking with us. I'm Jim Park, and this is HDT Talks Trucking. We just heard from Will Quinn of the California electric utility company Pacific Gas and Electric on what they're doing to help with the uptake of electric commercial vehicles. He also touched on some of what prospective customers have to go through to get into the game. Now we'll get to the good stuff. How much do these things cost and will they actually pay for themselves? To answer that question, here again is Ryder's Chris Nord. It varies incredibly. Uh, right now you can, uh, you can go with a, a system uh, that 
is absolute top of the line, all the best products, all the best batteries, and you're, you're spending $150,000 on top of the base vehicle itself, so just for the electrification system. Uh, and then there's other models. Uh, I'll mention uh, one company, uh, Workhorse, that has come out with a last mile delivery uh, vehicle in several different options that are actually uh, very close to cost parity with diesel equivalent vehicles. Um, they've, they've done that by building vehicles from, from the ground up, uh, designing their own battery management systems, and acquiring as, you know, as far down the supply chain as possible uh, in order not to add markups on top of markups. It, again, in that class four, five, you're gonna see some pretty compelling products coming out over, over the next uh, year. Uh, and then it'll continue. So every additional year to two years, another segment, another size class of vehicles will be added to that portfolio of very reasonably priced um, products. And then when you look at running them in a state like California, there's the LCFS uh, credit, which basically means that you're getting money back for every kilowatt hour you're charging a vehicle and running that vehicle. And it basically means that you're getting free fuel. So now you compare the give or take $4 diesel price here in California with free fuel, and yes, you paid more for the vehicle, but you're obviously saving a ton uh, on the electricity itself. And now I'll bring Penske's Bill Combs into the discussion. Bill and Chris are competitors in real life, but they were allies on our panel. Both men have a real interest in seeing the electric truck market grow, and they're doing all they can to move it forward. So here's Bill's response to the same question I asked Chris a few minutes ago about vehicle pricing. Yeah, I mean, I agree with, with all of that, everything Chris said. And, you know, the, on the truck side, you know, which is just part of the cost equation, again, you know, it's so early that you've got, you've got some of the OEMs saying, here's all the math we did, here's what it costs, you know, choke on it but buy it if you want it and, and look for incentives uh, and, and, and a lot of money from uh, air boards or utilities or whoever it might be. And then you have others that might be buying them their way into a market um, or might be vertically integrated enough to say this is a cost that's palatable and, mm -hmm. and is fairly equivalent to what we're paying today. But, you know, it's all about, you know, it, it's getting over that bubble, that early bubble and getting to the right scale so those, those numbers can come down and, and start to level out as far as understanding what we're going to pay for vehicles. Um, so, yeah, and then running costs is a whole other thing where, you know, it's yet to be seen. These, these trucks are going to be utilized. Sure, we think maintenance will be less, but they're going to be utilized at a much higher percentage than a passenger car is. So, you know, full utiliza utilization is always the goal with trucking, uh, up to 100%. You're never going to quite get there, but, but if, but if, if truck, truck fleets can, can operate between 70 and 90% of, of utilization, depending on the fleet, um, that's going to help drive costs down as well. But then you have to figure in charge times and a lot of that. So the, I think the math is going to be really interesting going forward. Yeah, the math will be interesting indeed. We'll basically be in uncharted territory for a few more years until we start seeing how running costs compare with diesels. We also have to account for some of the typical components of the total life cycle cost calculation, such as the vehicle's resale value and depreciation. Will the cost model we use now for diesel trucks still work with battery electric vehicles? 
Here again is Chris with a few thoughts on that subject. Uh, the, the other aspect is depreciation, which is something that Bill and I were actually just talking about earlier and how to really figure that out. The interesting thing about you know, this, this transition from internal combustion products to EVs is that EVs are meant to last much longer. That's what everybody says. That's what the evidence is based on consumer products. And so do we change the entire life cycle of fleets? And what are the implications of that? Now, instead of a five-year lease cycle, maybe we need to start looking at 10-year lease cycles because there's a reason why we stop it on the diesel side of five years because running costs basically go parabolic uh, on a per mile basis. So we've optimized that equation and get rid of vehicles pretty early in their life, whereas the electric vehicles uh, running costs are supposed to continue to remain smooth. That means all of a sudden that you're gonna have seats that wear out before the motors do, and what do you do then? And so there's all these implications that we just haven't seen the data for. So banks are gonna have trouble lending you money based on these kinds of new concepts and terms. Um, so it's, it's something that most companies are being very conservative about right now. Um, but there is going to be um, customers that are going to gain the benefit of that by having models where they're okay running vehicles for 10 years instead of five years. I think UPS is a perfect example. They, they run their vehicles for 20 years mm -hmm. today based on diesel. They will actually just remove the engine, replace it, keep the same chassis going. Um, and so they've already made significant commitments in terms of purchase orders, um, as have FedEx, as have Amazon. Right? So you, you're finding these specific niche markets where it makes a ton of sense today without incentives, and those companies are starting to move forward in very big numbers. And speaking of costs, obviously the cost of electricity needs to be considered in the life cycle costs as well. We know electricity pricing varies greatly across the U.S., and we also know that historically trucking fleets expect volume discounts on their fuel purchases. I asked PG&E's Will Quinn if his company was looking at pricing structures that reflect consumption. We are actually, yeah, we are actually, that's a great question. <clears throat> so we've um, been working with our regulator on a dedicated commercial electric vehicle rate for about a year now. Um, in regulatory speak, we just got a proposed decision two weeks ago, expecting a final decision within the next couple weeks. And that will tee us up to have a, a new rate that does away with demand charges. So familiar with the space, um, demand charges from the utility are considered pretty problematic um, for electrifying light duty, medium, heavy, what have you. And this new commercial rate will be much more like a cell phone uh, plan. So you'll have your monthly subscription charge based on exactly that, your volume. Um, broken into two tiers, either a small volume customer or a large volume customer, and then you'll have a, a significantly lowered volumetric rate uh, in addition to that subscription fee. So we've done some you know, modeling on this, and uh, across the board, uh, this rate is going to help customers save money compared to otherwise applicable time-of-use uh, electric rates. But when you start thinking about that volume question, you know, if you're on the cusp, um, we're agnostic to what the technology actually is, right? We're just thinking about um, overall KW pull uh, at your peak. So if you couple that with an on-site solar system or storage, or again, doing some real-time load management to ensure that no, you know, say five vehicles aren't all charging at 150 kW at the same time, then you could lower that peak significantly um, and you'll, have, you'll tap into a uh, lower monthly subscription fee. So 
We're really looking forward to that. Um, hopefully we get our final decision there before the end of the year, and then we can all run it through all of our models and um, really turn this math on its head. And I think it is going to be a game changer in terms of making the economics pencil out. Well, I think what we've heard so far is actually pretty encouraging. I'll leave you with a few final thoughts on electric trucks. They are new, they are untested for the most part, and many of us may be hanging on to assumptions about electric trucks that are based on our experience with diesels. Electric trucks are different, and we probably need to consider them in a fresh light. Here's Chris Nord with a few parting thoughts. One, one more thing, too, that I wanted to add um, is, is a concept that I feel is not yet prevalently known in the industry, which which is that Diesel and electric vehicles are very complementary to each other. They actually like completely different operating environments. So um, diesel vehicles love to go 65 miles per hour down the highway and just, you know, 10 hours straight. And that's where they're optimized. The gearing's optimized, fuel economy, everything is peaked out. Um, whereas electric vehicles have the least efficiency at the higher mile per hour range. Uh, and do best in a stop-and-go environment when they're able to utilize the brake regeneration system to recapture energy. And so as long as you're taking a much more expensive vehicle, right, and you're putting it into the application that it likes, also the same environment that the diesel vehicle does not like. So you take an inner-city, um, maybe single-axle tractor, right, and you, you, you you put it in its worst application, you're gonna see the after treatment system uh, skyrocket in cost. You're gonna see the MPG performance as poor as could be, right? Whereas the electric vehicle is gonna shine specifically in that application. And so the TCOs, again, should not be done based on averages. It should be done on specific applications and you will find uh, places where it'll fit even without incentives. And now a few parting comments from Bill Combs. I think it's a great point. We, it, it's true, Penske and Ryder both take, we don't, we're not the manufacturer of the vehicles, we're not necessarily, we're not driving the vehicles in most cases, we're enabling our customers uh, a fleet of trucks and the maintenance around those and all the other services we can wrap around them. So, but at, at the same time, for the deployment of electric trucks, takes, I've said before, just takes a village. It takes really your entire company. Uh, it, takes, it takes people on the facility side to think about electrification and putting in the infrastructure to charge. Uh, it, it takes the, the thought that this is now electric and not a fuel that gets, that gets dumped into a tank. You have to build uh, that charge time into your uh, logistics thinking and, and fleet management. You can't put 300 gallons of uh, diesel into this thing and let it run for 2,500, 3,000 miles before refueling again. You're going to have to build uh, the fueling piece into the into the day in and day out. So um, the the trucks being available is one thing. Um, what Will said about asking fleets how many trucks they plan to deploy. There's a lot to that. There's a lot packaged into that answer, and part of it is availability of the vehicles, and this is on the commercial trucking side, less so on the bus side, I think, but on the, you need the vehicles, you need charging to enable those to, to operate throughout the day, and you need to be thinking about, you know, are there, do I need to run this fleet differently than I'm used to running with, with a liquid fuel that's available at thousands of locations across the, the continent. 
We've been talking about what it takes to get started with electric trucks. This episode's guests were Chris Nord of Ryder, Bill Combs of Penske, and Will Quinn of Pacific Gas and Electric. They were speaking at Bobbitt's Fleet Forward Conference in San Jose, California in November of 2019. HGT Talks Trucking was brought to you by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange, an intimate fleet networking event that takes place May 6th, 7th, and 8th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com to hear what past attendees took home from the event and to apply to be our guest at HTTX 2020. HTT Talks Trucking was produced by Deb Lockridge, recording and audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine, the Fleet Business Authority, is published by Bobbitt Business Media. Leave a web browser window open to truckinginfo.com for up-to-the-minute industry news as well as feature articles, videos, photo galleries, white papers, and our ever-popular editor blogs. You can leave questions or comments on the HDT Talks Trucking homepage. That's truckinginfo.com slash podcasts. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps others to find us. Thanks to my guests, Chris Nord, Will Quinn, and Bill Combs. And thanks to our sponsor, Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening.